Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. They hire a van and the van is followed and intercepted. And that's the first time customs realize, oh my God, Chisholm has gone into the big league. Of course, this isn't cannabis, this is cocaine and an absolutely enormous, eye-watering amount of it. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. He was Scotland's first ambitious drugs baron who went from being a diver in the oil industry to a major league importer. Ambitious and ruthless, Julian Chisholm rose the ranks at an incredible speed as he plotted to use Scotland's sleepy fishing villages and islands as his landing points for drugs bartered directly from the Cali cartel. But was his greed his undoing? Today, I'm talking with reporter Brendan Duggan of Aberdeen's Courier and Press and Journal, who's turned the amazing story of Chisholm into a new podcast called Hunting Mr X. He tells me about the drama on the high seas that made Chisholm Scotland's most wanted. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Brendan, where do we start on this story? Because I sort of, every time I was taking a note on it as I was listening to it, I kept coming up with loads of different places to start. Um, and I have Ullapool down, but maybe we'll come to that, that little town that's so significant in it. Maybe we'll start with your key character, Julian Chisholm himself, and where he kind of came from. He's such an incredibly unusual character with the kind of background that you wouldn't expect him to get so heavily involved in the international drugs game. Yeah, I I, I totally get what you mean. Um, but in a way, it, w- it was like the perfect, you know, introduction to that world. Um, Julian Chisholm was born in Coldingham um, in Scotland. Um, we don't know too much about his early years. Um, we know that his parents owned and operated several hotels um, across Scotland. Um, we we know we know very little what kind of child he was or what kind of teenager he was. Um, as far as we know, he had a probably very simple childhood. Um, uh, 
there was actually someone in social media who, who claimed that they knew Chisholm uh, and then they used to, you know, ride bikes together. So it sounds like he may have had a, a, a fairly regular uh, childhood. But the kind of first initial um, change in Chisholm's life was when he moved to Aberdeen during the oil boom. Um, we, we go into the podcast, you know, we, the Press and Journal um, is the longest running paper in, in Aberdeenshire and the the oil boom in the 1980s changed Aberdeen dramatically overnight. Mm. Um, it was creating jobs um, for a rather deprived area. Um, it was creating a new workforce. It was creating inwards migration. And a part of that inwards, inwards migration was Julian Chisholm, um, who, who really only moved to Aberdeen in in search for fortune he wanted to make money that was his ambition he you know he 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 wanted to kind of build himself up um and and how he did this was he got a job uh as a diver um who you know a, a very dangerous job at the time they were basically doing maintenance and excavation for for oil, oil companies um but what made it such uh the perfect way to get into the drugs business for Chisholm was that the oil industry was, especially for those who worked inside it, it was a kind of melting pot as, as uh, one of my colleagues described on, on, on the podcast, you know, it was a melting pot of people. People were coming from all over the country, you know, from, from England um, to, to, to work um, on these oil rigs. Um, and this is where, as far as we know, Chisholm, um, made links with some uh, Liverpool workers and invested in a drug deal. Um, so they probably introduced him to it. I mean, what, what you're talking the 1980s there, are you? Yeah. Yeah. So Liverpool obviously was on the brink of becoming what it now is, which is one of the drug capitals of, you know, certainly of the UK and if not of Europe. You had, Absolutely. Yeah. you had Curtis Warren there who's back in the news again. He's just been caught with uh, a female prison officer and breaking all sorts of his uh, the rules of his freedom and looks like he could be heading back into prison. But he was starting out his career in the 1980s down in Liverpool. Um, it's a big port, obviously. And there was a lot of activity. I think Liverpool itself was a place which was pretty poor and... Uh, a lot of people saw opportunities to make money quick as the ecstasy business and heroin. And, you know, it was on the brink itself of a heroin epidemic, not unlike Dublin. So there was a lot of people with con connections from Liverpool. Um, and presumably they come up to right up to Aberdeen, which would I be right in saying there wouldn't have been a drug problem in that area or maybe too much drug activity in the it's north of Scotland, Brendan, is it? Not it, it probably was similar to 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 as you described Liverpool as this is the beginning. Mm. Um what what we we don't you know we don't know exactly how Chisholm got into the, the drugs industry. Um it could have been around a game of cards and they said, you know, have you ever wanted to make, you know, invest the fortune? Because Chisholm at this time had kind of built himself a small fortune. You know, divers were paid very, very well. Um, and he, you know he was offered a chance to, you know, return, get a return on his investment. You know, he, he probably was, you know, told, um, 
it, it's weed everyone does it you know it's it's you know you can it's low risk you can make back mm-hmm. your investment we just need a, a couple of grand from you um just guess, really what you said there probably gives us the first insight into the type of personality he has you know he did a good job he was earning good money in that diving it's dangerous but it pays really really well and yet he wanted more he was he was ruthlessly ambitious mm-hmm. he was you know uh, it, it, it's almost like he kept pushing, he kept pushing. Um, and we see that um, throughout as the series goes on, we see him keep pushing and keep pushing the people around him to, to do more and to go riskier. And, and um, you know, and, and it was almost like as soon as he discovered, well, I can make money this way. I can work for myself. I can, you know, uh, I can build something on my own. Um he he went right into it. He 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 slowly became he slowly retired from diving. He moved to Spain, um, and he began putting all his efforts into building uh, a drug network across Scotland. Um, firstly, focusing on weed, but of course, he he does eventually go to 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 bigger drugs. Absolutely. So just go back there a little bit to when this all starts for him and he sort of forms a gang with the intention of smuggling drugs into Scotland um, and he sets a site on a place called Anthrax Island. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Anthrax Island um, was was a name given by the locals. It's actually called Grinead Island. Um, it's a small island off the uh, northwest um, coast of Scotland um, but it was given the name Anthrax Island because in, in World War II, the British military used it to test chemical weapons such as anthrax. So it was contaminated. It was very dangerous to go on. Um, even when Chisholm came to Aberdeen and started kind of, you know, um, getting into to the drugs business, it was um, contaminated. But around the 1980s, Chisholm, um, sorry, the 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 British government do start to clean up the island. Mm. Um, we actually took a d- dive into our archives um, and we found lots of photos of the cleanup. There are people wearing hazmat suits. Um, there's a big sign warning trespassers that this is a really dangerous island. Um, and they they do clean it up and they do make it habitable. But there's a period in which it's habitable, but it's still off limits to the public. Mm. And Chisholm, give them, you know, the credit where credit is due. And a lot of people do give him that, even the people who eventually brought him to justice or tried to bring him to justice. Um, he saw that as an opportunity to, I have an island here that no one's going to touch, no one's going to go near, that I can store my drugs on. Mm. I don't, he he had his very own yacht and he would sail that yacht or he would, sorry, he would pay someone to sail his yacht because Chisholm was a very much hands-off he was the the mastermind. He wouldn't get his hands dirty. Was he like that um, from the beginning, Brendan? Or did he, I mean, do you know if he was, I mean, most of them kind of become hands off and they make enough money to do so. In the beginning, some of those first kind of landings maybe of um, drugs, they can be a bit more hands on and, and sort of grow in the business. Their ambitions grow and uh, they sort of elevate in their career and become management I, I I I'm not too sure. What I what I will say though is what we do know is is even during his diving career, Chisholm was a very smart, you know, um he he would he would work smart, not hard. Mm. Um he would always try to 
get in with the right people, get the best jobs, the ones that pay the best, even if he had to manipulate, even if he had to charm, you know, these were the things he did. So you're not sure. He, he he may have got his hands dirty a couple of times, but he knew the end game. He knew the end game to be that kind of person who's sitting outside, letting other people take the fall if they have to, and and you know, letting other people do the 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 grunt work. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Now this is a time, of course, that a lot of these early drug dealers will call them um, ambitious drug lords. They're shipping their own product, a lot of them. I mean, the early days of cocaine, even we saw along the west coast of Ireland, a lot of uh, ships would have been, a lot of yachts would have been hired out of the Caribbean and they'd have been sailed over and they'd try and land the the cocaine bales on the beaches where they'd be picked up. Um, there was a lot of flying, drug mules were flying in from Colombia with drugs in their stomachs mm. and that mm. kind of thing. Uh, they obviously, in the beginning, they don't seem to see the ports of the likes of Rotterdam and Antwerp as the opportune areas to bring it in. You know, so there is a lot of of this landing on the beaches. Mm. Now, Ireland is rugged, but this area of Scotland you're talking about is much more rugged, isn't it? It's full of inlets. I presume it's full of private beaches and, and islands and opportunities for these sort of early frontier drug dealers. Yes. So um, where Chisholm began bringing his drugs into Scotland was through a fishing village called Ullapool. Um, Ullapool now is a beautiful place in Scotland. It's, you know, it's an an amazing tourist destination. It's very scenic. Um, It's very popular. But around Chisholm's time, it was just a fishing village. It just had, you know, it was, it was, it was very under the radar. And so it was a great place for him to bring um, his, his drugs in. Now, that's not saying he had to be careful. He had to be careful of not raising suspicions. And that was the whole point of putting um, the drugs onto Anthrax Island mm-hmm. um, so that a, a boat that, that's less suspicious, that's maybe more local, could come and pick the drugs up and bring them to Ullapool. And then he would have a transport team to bring them down um, from Ullapool to the bigger cities like Edinburgh, Glasgow, maybe even into, you know, uh, uh, England to London. Um, and and that's how he worked for quite some time. And and he, he, he you know, until probably around 1990, um, he that was that was his operation and it was working for him. And he had taken some guys under his wing, some fishermen, some some other divers, you know, a kind of really unlikely group to, you know, help him run this operation. Well, help him. They were the real hands on guys, weren't they? And and they were the ones that we'll, we'll get to, but they come a cropper before he does. But I suppose as he's growing this business, this gang, as we'll call it, um, and successfully moving some drugs in, obviously there's no way of working out exactly how much he was making or how much he was bringing in, but we can say he certainly looks as if he's becoming a big player on the international scene. Um, he does come under the uh, radar of customs and customs back then in the UK, correct me if I'm wrong, seemed to do a lot of the intelligence gathering and the kind of the big undercover sting operations more so than the police. I, I think it was a bit of a collaboratory effort. Um, there, for, for Chisholm, at least, the 
tip came to the Scottish crime squ- uh, squad, um, in this case based in Stonehaven, which is not far from Aberdeen. Um, and they notified customs and it eventually led onto a desk of, of customs um, and excise. And, you know, they put their heads together and they realized, you know, um, this guy was, you know, becoming a big player. And to catch him red-handed would be a really great um, operation. So they kind of put their heads together and formed what was known as Operation Klondike um, to to catch Chisholm red-handed. That's what they wanted to do. And, and it began, you know, a huge surveillance operation. You know, it's probably, you know, so big. We give it a whole episode um, mm-hmm. on our podcast, you know, because there's there's so much undercover surveillance um, and the likes. Um but that the it, it was all to 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 catch Chisholm because he was becoming a big player. And of course, on your your podcast, um, Hunting Mr. X, you have great access to one of the lead customs officers who was involved in the massive investigation into Chisholm and his gang, a man called Graham Dick, who's retired. Um, and of course, with podcasts, that is the key to it, isn't it? Having having access to someone who was intimately involved in the story at the time and who has the hands on experience. And I mean, he tells the story as if and he brings us back into the world as if we were there, um, you know, in the investigation room with him almost, you know. But um, Graham Dick, the, this customs officer, he is sort of it becomes almost like they're like a lot of these massive investigations that go on over a lot of years. You hear police and uh, inve- other investigators saying that it kind of it, it, they sleep, eat and breathe it and they, they miss out times with their families and they become obsessed nearly with it. And this seems to be the case in this. Now, what they did was they were able to identify some local fishermen, unlikely lads in Ullapool, who they realized were kind of working for Chisholm, who at this point had based himself out in Spain. Is that right? Yeah, he he had, um, he actually left for Spain not long after he had gotten to the drugs business. Um, you know, he was doing contract work as a diver um, as he kind of transitioned. Um, but yeah, he 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 moved his family to to Spain. You know, um, he 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 was living the high life. Um, you know, I, I, there was a, a a case where he brought uh, a fellow diver from Ullapool to Spain to kind of recruit him into into helping Chisholm. Mm-hmm. So um, the the kind of local characters in Ullapool, tell us the story of what happens with them, because they, they have a really hairy time on the high seas, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, 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 I guess one of the, the most interesting characters in this podcast um, was uh, a man named uh, Chris Howarth. Chris Howarth and Chisholm have a lot of similar similarities. Um, their their lives kind of um, both match in terms of they were both divers. They were both looking to 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 work to make a fortune. Chris Howarth was a bit less, um, I say, successful in that than than Chisholm. Um, he was known around Ullapool as, as Crazy Chris because he was, you know, had a bit of a temper. But, you know, there was the other side to him that he was a, a family man, that that he did, he was working hard. But he was he was recruited by Chisholm with the promise of of earning lots of money, of 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 kind of building a fortune of his own. And he was brought on to because Chris Howarth 
and you know um this is what Chisholm didn't have was Chris Howarth had intimate relation um intimate knowledge of the Illipo coastline he knew that area probably like the back of his hand and Chisholm wanted him because he was building up to doing a really big score to bring in uh, the biggest haul that he or anyone had ever worked on and which would go on to become the biggest in Scottish history and he needed someone to do the handiwork um he Chisholm wasn't going to do it himself so he hired Chris Howarth um and another man named Noel Hawkins um to basically be the importers so Chris Howarth and Noel Hawkins find themselves in Gibraltar uh, where they are basically employed um, by Chisholm to do a like an incredible journey or pickup of what customs suspect he's bringing in cannabis still, don't they? The customs officers are investigating. They think he's bringing in cannabis. So they believe that these two have been recruited to... Are they are they, they sailing the, 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 the consignment in to the coast? So yes, so they get to Gibraltar and and they are they get on board um a tanker um that travels all the way to Venezuela. Um and the plan is to go to Venezuela, pick up the drugs and take it back up the uh the um the coast of Scotland into Alapo. Um but you're right, you know, the customs still believe Chisholm's MO is Cannabis. cannabis. So they don't know this boat is going to Venezuela. If they knew Venezuela, they'd immediately know that he's moved up a gig into cocaine smuggling. Exactly. They yeah. they they don't realize that Chisholm, again, going back to that, him pushing the limits, him pushing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he's done cannabis now. He wants to go bigger. Um, and around this time, uh, uh, in the 1990s, the South American cartels, like the Cali cartel, um, they have the American market, but America is becoming a bit more difficult. And they they look to the they look to Europe as a market that they can seize, especially the Cali cartel, who, you know, by the time they're they're dealing with Chisholm, they're not even at the height of their power. They, you know, they they would soon own about 90% of all the cocaine market across the world. And so, of course, they want Europe. And here comes this guy who we're not too exactly sure how Chisholm makes contact with the Cali cartel. It might be through these um, these drug importers that he 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 tells Chris Howarth and Noel Hawkins to work with. Um, but he comes up to them and, you know, perfect opportunity. He wants to import cocaine into the UK. Now, again, we're not exactly sure how this happened. We know from the customs point of view what is going on, what they believe he's building up to something big. Um, But what he's done is he's made a deal to bring in a hundred million pounds worth of pure uncut Colombian cocaine into Scotland, which would be the biggest Scottish drug importation and still is today Mm. in history. Right. So God, he's ambitious. Um, He is. He he certainly is. and, and And he's hired Chris Howarth, no Hawkins. He's probably, he's promised them huge sums of money to sail a very dangerous trip took you know weeks over a month actually to get to Venezuela where they picked up the cocaine the cocaine was literally you know tossed to them into the ocean um by the Cali cartel and 
to um bring the drugs back up to Scotland. And you're right, that that you know, that dangerous voyage, mm. you know, for Chris Howarth and Noah Hawkins was was, you know, an experience. And and we speak to um unfortunately Chris Howarth um uh particularly has passed away. Um but he did tell his story and told this whole first person narrative to an author who 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 we spoke to as part of this podcast. Mm. So we really do get a sense of 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 Chris's experience on board um, a boat called the DMRB, which he was chucked off al- along with his pal Hawkins when they uh, they decided they weren't going to come any closer to Ullapool because they didn't want to be caught presumably with the drugs, a storm at sea. We've heard similar stories here in Ireland that uh, the, the best plans have come a cropper because of the weather, which can never be yeah. guaranteed in either of our countries. Um, but basically, the two of them end up being rattled around the Scottish Sea and uh, very dangerous. Amazing they survived that, actually. Yeah, it, it, it was probably a miracle. Um, they knew, probably thanks to Chris Howarth and Noah Hawkins' knowledge of the area, that was the only reason they probably survived. Mm. Um, but you're right; it was the it was dangerous weather. It was the heart of winter. Um, this was December, um, and you know there was already a, a huge storm um, covering Scotland, um, at least the northwest coast. Um, and and yeah, it was it was very dangerous. But they didn't have a choice. Mm. It was you know either you know take the cocaine, bring it to to shore, or or else die with it. Yeah, well, well, uh, we do know um, that you know they had been promised a sum. They hadn't been paid yet. Mm. They had been promised a sum, so we we assume that they 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 thought it was worth the money. Um, in fact, uh, Chris Howarth, you know, radioed to Chisholm, asking out of the job, asking to to you know this is too dangerous, mm. and Chisholm wasn't having any of it. He 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 demanded for Chris Howarth to take the drugs to finish the job to finish the score. Yeah, and that actually, I think, um, in the podcast gives us the second major insight into the type of character he is because he's ruthless, and he sort of makes vague threats against his family. And you know, there's no question, but this job and the money and the cocaine is the focus of his life at this point. Um, the two boys end up back in their their local area customs know something's afoot um they don't know where they've been they don't know they've they that they've made this mammoth journey across the world and they don't know that they actually managed to survive that storm and wash up ashore with their uh, uh their cargo uh, and and hide it away but so they put up uh, an operation an undercover operation to watch the two boys um they hire a van and the van is followed and intercepted. And that's the first time customs realize, oh my God, Chisholm has gone into the big league. Of course, this isn't cannabis, this is cocaine and an absolutely enormous eye-watering amount of it. Um, so like all of these operations, I suppose that the big, the, the thing is to try and get the director, the guy at the top of the chain, mm-hmm. um, the lads who are delivering, who are you know, moving, they they are sort of small fried. They're certainly, they're down the ladder, aren't they? And I think for a, an operation to be successful, um, the focus has to go on the boss. 
Mm, yeah, that was that was the the you know, that was the aim of uh, Operation Klondike from the very beginning. It was to catch Julian Chisholm. It was to catch this this leader, um, and and that was their main goal. You know, he was the big fish, um, mm-hmm. to use the fishing analogy. Um, yeah. If we're talking about Alapil, you know, they had they had caught this um, massive um, career making score for mm-hmm. for some of the the officers, and they had caught the small fry, the small fish, Howarth, Hawkins, um, others, and you know, they were successful in prosecuting those 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 men. But Chisholm had had was still far away. He was he was out of reach. He wasn't in Scotland. He was in Spain hiding, um, and and customs couldn't do anything about it. You know, at that time, um, it wasn't until um, years later um, that Chisholm was found in Spain by the Spanish police and was arrested, um, and um, and was that after encouragement from the Scots or was it because he was up to something else? Well, this whole time, um, Operation Klondike had the um, help of the Spanish authorities because Chisholm, because they were surveying Chisholm around the clock, they needed help when Chisholm went to Spain, mm-hmm. when he went back to Spain, because he would travel to Scotland, he would travel up to meet people, he would travel up to organize this big score. Um and he would be followed um, by customs. But in Spain, they needed also to follow him there because that's where his yacht was. That's where, you know, the boats he was known to have used to, to import drugs. You know, that's where they were located. So they needed, and they had great cooperation from the Spanish authorities. Um, I think, you know, in our podcast, Graham doesn't um, praise them enough for their help. Um, and And so... But of course, the Costa del Sol is like was a hotbed of criminals back then. And you often hear um, police or customs sometimes when they go looking for help there, especially during the the 90s and I suppose the early 2000s, they're told, yeah, he might be a big guy, but he's not a big guy to us because we have all these Russians, we've all these. And sometimes getting that cooperation back then was difficult. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it was very frustrating for police and customs in the UK, in Scotland, in Ireland, that they knew their their main target was out there, but they couldn't get that help they needed to um, to have them arrested in, in a different jurisdiction. I'm sure. I'm sure the Spanish authorities, you know, like you say, working on the Costa del Sol, um, you know, there's a huge amount of criminals, you know, that are said to be to be to be home there, to mm. be you know hiding under the radar, just like Chisholm was. Um, so they, you know, they could have had their hands full, um, but Operation Klondike was still going until Chisholm was caught. It was still mm. active. Mm. So there was always that goal to catch him. Um, and they did eventually in, in Spain. Uh, interesting enough, his mugshot shows him with a, with a um, black eye. And that's because he was tackled as he tried to run away from the Spanish police. Um, you know, that's really in a way. I said to you at the beginning where to start with with the podcast. Um, it's a it's a five episode podcast that you is available on wherever people get their podcasts. But uh, in a way, that's where the story starts again because without giving away, um, everything from it from the story, uh, it doesn't end there for Chisholm because he ends up, uh, shall we say, tasting freedom again for particular reasons. But. Uh, and uh, questions remain as regards his whereabouts. And uh, 
you know, what, what he's up to wherever he is. I'm sure uh, you'll continue following the story and any further developments on it that are made. But let me ask you something just um, as we come to the end of the the podcast today. What is sort of, I suppose, his legacy in, in where you are in Aberdeen and in that part of Scotland? He was probably one of the first Mr. Biggs there. He was the Curtis Warren of the area with ambitions to make deals directly with the, the Cali cartel um, and of landing the drugs into the area. The availability of cocaine uh, went hand in hand with the increase of the use of it. And as we know today, Europe is a massive market for the cartels mm. and uh, it's still growing. Demand is still growing. But what is Aberdeen's situation like and what is the the criminal underworld looking like there? I think Aberdeen, you're totally right that 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 South American gangs like the Cali cartel, you know, even though things went sideways here, they, you know, this was in the end. Like I said, they only get bigger. Um, the market in Europe only gets bigger. Now, I think what we have is we have a lot more, you know, the county lines that goes up to Aberdeen, a lot more from um, uh, the, the the down the country, mm. you know, using using um, paths like county lines. Um, I think Chisholm's legacy, he still holds this, you know, record for the biggest ever drugs importation in Scottish history. That still has, so no one's, you know, there have been attempts, but, you know, no one's really taught that. And I think his ambition is his legacy. Mm. This biting off more than he can chew. And he did affect a lot of families in, um, you know, um, in Scotland. He, you know, Chris Howarth and, you know, you know, Chris Howarth, for example, you know, was able to spend some years with his family at the end, but inevitably, by his own decision, he missed out. Howard and Hawkins went to jail, of course. Yes, 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 his, his, yes, and 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 so did the rest of his gang. Um, but yeah, I think Chisholm's legacy does show. You know, you can buy off more than you can chew. You can, you know. It's 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 a and and as we know, you're right. He's he still could be out there, but he could also you know be 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 dead. Having you know, mm-hmm. there's there's been many who theorize that you know the the people he he um, he worked for, you know, the those who he failed to to follow through on mm-hmm. their drug importations may have got to him. We'll never know. Um, so it's. I like to think that Chisholm's story isn't done. You mm. know, we still have, you know, we still could one day find out what happened to him, whether that was, uh, you know, he's arrested or that he's he's found to be killed. And and I think I think whatever comes of that will be his, his legacy. For sure. Well, Brendan Duggan, um, the creator of Hunting Mr. X, uh, which is available everywhere you listen to your podcasts. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.
Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.